lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again uh, on the Outsports Podcast Network. And today's show, uh, in my personal opinion, is a bit of a treat. Uh, we have, a f- <laughs> I guess... We joke about it in the, in the interview, but a very frequent guest of the show um, in terms of interview subjects, uh, the new classic, Billy Dixon, is back on the show. Uh, you would recognize Billy from very early on um, in the show's run. And, um, one of the first episodes we did, talking to Billy about his experience in pro wrestling as an out uh, black gay man. Um, and, and his career. And then, of course, coming back around, he was part of the... Uh, the two-brained uh, coalition there behind the Butch versus Gore show that was a rousing success back in March, um, and he's back this week discussing a upcoming event that he has. Uh, that in the trend of um, other people within uh, LGBTQ pro wrestling circles and and even. Outside of LGBTQ pro wrestling specifically, um, this trend of blending pro wrestling with other elements of nightlife or um, uh, culture related to specific demographics in that way with his upcoming show, Paris is Bumping. Um, Obviously, that is a play on Paris is Burning, and it is exactly what you may think it is based off of that connection. Um, The show itself is kind of a uh, a marriage of uh, ballroom culture and pro wrestling and kind of amalgamating the two into something that um, is true to both, but something completely new at the same time. And he announced it a while back and COVID kind of delayed things, but it's back on track now. It's coming up... Um, later on in the fall, and I could not wait to sit down and talk with him about this. Um, the, the concept excited me from the very beginning, and I just love any new exploration of what pro wrestling can be. Uh, so our chat here, we get all into the inspiration behind Paris' Paris burn uh, bumping. See, and you'll also notice I might s- <laughs> switch it up there, and you'll find out why Billy isn't necessarily bothered by that mess up if you... Uh, switch to burning instead of bumping there um as well as uh just some good discussion around what he hopes to accomplish with the show and also his um some recent stuff with him appearing on other shows and um how he's been incorporating um some of the the racial movement the racial equity movement um into both you know himself as well as his wrestling um identity as well uh it's i absolutely adore every time i get to sit down with billy and this one did not disappoint and i'm super excited for all of y'all to hear it um and but before we get to that i do have to touch on something real quick earlier this week um obviously we saw the news of uh sonia deville um nearly being kidnapped by a obsessed um stalker um and luckily no, luckily no one was harmed in this whole situation and uh you know Sonia and now we know that her guest in her house down in Florida was uh, Mandy Rose um they both were able to escape 
harm. They got out of the house. The man was arrested. Um, some very disturbing stuff from him on social media, including some like Instagram messages while he, reportedly while he was outside of the house. Um, so yeah, just all around a really um, uh, concerning situation that has really sparked a conversation that I've seen um, within wrestling Twitter and, and wrestling social media circles about um, kind of the what we've seen, the benign treatment of some of these more um, vocal and, I'll be frank, fairly gross um, and obsessive social media accounts that follow certain wrestlers or, or follow, like, female wrestlers or, 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 or you know, just different different people that are basically only exist the, these accounts only exist to sexualize obsess and um in some instances stalk you know um i know i've seen multiple people call out certain twitter profiles that and they there have been campaigns to start reporting some profiles and which is awesome to see because you know for the longest time i think people recognized some of the more cringy aspects of how male fans specifically interacted with women wrestlers um and you know we've all seen like the pictures the the picture collages on twitter of like people at wwe meet and greets like like wrapping their arms around their women wrestlers and and taking pictures and just like seeing the expressions on the wrestlers faces and understanding like that the the uncomfortableness of that situation and how it comes through in those expressions and you know we've even seen it manifest with WWE earlier in the decade um where or actually I guess last decade at this point but you know the situation where Becky Lynch had a stalker that showed up outside of the performance center um and I think ended up getting shot by police because of that situation and so like this is something that has happened and persisted around WWE, but it's not just a WWE problem. You know, like we joke about um, like standing people on this show and in in our social circles and everything like that. And you know, I've seen multiple people over the, the years point out like you do understand where that term comes from, right? <laughs> and the problematic nature that it really represents in the, in the song that it comes from and what some of the the connotations around it. And I, and I know that a lot of people have kind of redefined that and and um, kind of absorbed that into the vernacular um, in many different. Uh, sociocultural spheres um, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue to keep an eye out for these things and, and really be more vigilant when it comes to recognizing the power that over sexualization holds and, and how whenever people are left unchecked with those sort of things it, it can manifest into something darker and can ultimately end up um, with the situation like what happened with with Sonia and Mandy down in in Florida this past weekend, um, yeah, it's just it's been a a bummer to, to see that play out. I'm glad that everything seems to be somewhat in order. You know, there's I believe Sonia has a uh, more permanent injunction for stalking against him now, and so hopefully, you know, this this will play out in court, obviously, but hopefully. Sonia's and Sonia's safety 
um, is more um, more protected and 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 more strong in that way. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a concerning situation, and let this be a lesson. And and please make sure that we keep our eyes open to these situations. That's really the main way that we can keep these things from happening again. Um, yeah. So, just wanted to touch on that real quick before we get to the interview. Uh, I won't keep anybody else waiting because uh, the mother of the house of no bullshit waits for no one. Here's Billy Dixon. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and I am super excited to have as my guest this week the brains behind the upcoming ballroom cross pro wrestling extravaganza, Paris is Bumping. Um, but he is also known for holding the Chocolate City Championship for Fight Club Pro Wrestling, and also, I would say, known as the mother of the house of no bullshit, the new classic Billy Dixon. Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. How you doing? Hey, how are you? You can also, I am also like the John Goodman to SNL to LGBT in the Ring. This is my 700th appearance. Right. So, <laughs> so, you know, I'm 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 welcome. I know where where the where the booze is. I you know, this is a very nice home that I frequent quite often. <laughs> <laughs> we we keep it nice and and tidy for you. So the, yeah. nothing's really out of place, but no, yeah. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm super glad to have you back on the show. And, and I, I was kind of thinking about the same thing myself. Like, I think this is like, like the third or fourth time that you've been on, which is like more than outside of like KC, probably more than anybody else so far on the show for good reason yeah. though, because you're doing a lot of awesome work around uh, pro wrestling in the short lifespan of this show um, and beyond. And Paris's bumping is another example of that. Um, I I remember the last time we really chatted was like, I think right before Butch versus Gore, and mm-hmm. it was whenever you had initially, I think either I can't remember if you announced that after Butch versus Gore or beforehand, but I remember it was around the time when you announced uh, Paris's bumping, and I immediately wanted to talk to you about this because this idea is is one that I don't think many people. Would necessarily have made have thought about doing a co uh, a co branded show like this, but whenever you think about it, the two worlds fit very well together. Yeah, yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, I announced the show Christmas Day two thousand and nineteen. Um, and I, you know, I was just like had the idea, wanted to see if people were excited. I thought people were gonna be like, ah, eh, no, nah, I'm not feeling it, but like uh it everything's been deleted since then uh but yeah the initial video launched at like over twelve thousand views in like a month like a little under a month so i thought that was super cool um people were were sharing it around in different spaces so i there is a lot of excitement about the show and you know one of the biggest things that i am um one of the biggest things that i'm trying to to tell with this show is that you know pro wrestling and ballroom culture are more similar than they are different and it's a larger statement about like you know thy fellow neighbor you know like i said before you know leomi maldonado and ricochet and aj styles have a lot more in common than 
one would think. Um, so yeah, that's kind of one of the goals of the show. So I'm really excited that people are really excited about it. And we uh, will be debuting the stream on IWTV uh, sometime around Halloween time. Oh, sick. That's rad. I, I saw the tease about the IWTV on, on the Twitter account. And like I thought I was hoping that that would, that that would work out for you. So that's awesome to hear. Doesn't that Twitter account have so much personality? Oh, tons. <laughs> it's a character. I kind of, it, 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 like, like I, 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 the, my Twitter account, I'm all rotted and bitter and angry. And that Twitter account is like happy to be there. Like first day of school, going to make new friends. And like, it's got the cool one-liner jokes. So it's funny. Um, but yeah. No, I I love it. I love the attitude. I love the graphics already, like the graphic packages that you put together for announcing like the different categories and and stuff has been outstanding. Um, I I I myself personally, I'm all in on the show. I was all in from the moment you that that you announced it. Um, which I feel bad that I didn't remember it was in December. Everything is blending together because of COVID, I think, and just being quarantined. But um, yeah. But um, but no, like I was, I was all in there, and just it's it's been wild to see the response from the from the wrestling community to to what this is seen. I know there are some people that um kind of roll in the queer wrestling circles online that have really like like singled out this show as something that could be like revolutionary. I think is one of the words I've seen used uh, for pro wrestling um as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is, I feel, um, when I, uh, when I wrote the show, uh, when I pitched the show, I pitched the show to some people and they were like, this sounds really ambitious. And I truly believe that this show could be one of the biggest disasters in wrestling history, or it could be one of the biggest paradigm shifts in the way we present, uh, professional wrestling. Um, I think that the, the stakes are really high. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, this is this is a whole other ballgame from versus Gore. Bush versus Gore was a professional wrestling event that featured uh, queer um, performers, largely. Uh, Paris is Bumping is a queer event that happens to feature professional wrestling. Mm. Um, it is, it is, it is if professional wrestling threw a ball, what would that look like? And it's going to be done differently. And also there's a cinematic element and there's a lot of elements to it that I think are just really, we're not doing, uh, we haven't seen in wrestling. And I really want to, um, I've been, I was really inspired uh, watching the NWA uh, uh, Power episodes so that has played a little bit of an influence as it. There's old school wrestling influences, modern wrestling influences. Um, and then also clearly there is a way bigger emphasis on like ballroom culture, Paris's burning, Pose, Kiki, My House, Legendary, just to name a few, as well as like the endless amount of ballroom and famous drag clips that you can find on like YouTube. So for me, uh, Paris is bumping is really going to be like the most uh, unique wrestling event I feel like ever because it's going to be wrestling and not wrestling at the same time and uh, the biggest thing is that we're putting things that don't belong in wrestling and don't and things that shouldn't have wrestling in it together mixing it up and seeing what happens um, and this could be really good or really bad I could 
wind up being like one of the most respected minds in the business or people could think I'm a total fucking idiot. So that's exciting for me. I like high stakes. I like taking risks. So here we go, you know? Yeah, no, I I don't blame you at all. Like, there's a there's a rush that comes with that, especially whenever you're able to pull that off and like showcase something that could really constitute real change and and real evolution in that way. Um, and and I I would say Paris's bump me is going to be the next in the line of a, a number of of pro wrestling experiments. I would say in terms of like mixing with like nightlife culture or queer culture like you talked about but butch versus gore obviously was definitely more of a straightforward pro wrestling presentation but like the one of the first things that popped in my head whenever you mentioned this i went back to mv young doing his um his fashion week no death no ring death match show that i that you were on i believe um Yeah, and like the the that idea was another one, much like Paris is bumping, that you wouldn't necessarily think about those two worlds blending or having real like crossovers and similarities. But the minute that the idea gets put in your head, like no, it it makes total sense. Um, was there any? Uh, did you pull any like inspiration from from that crossover that that MV put together for that show to kind of like look at what you could put together for yourself and and kind of spawn out Paris's bumping? Oh, 100%. Um so I am inspired by so much in the wrestling world, uh mainstream, indie, experimental. I am a true student of the game. I watch a lot. Um I was really blown away at how seamless uh MV Young's New York Fashion Week show was um it was beautiful watching these beautiful models of all shapes sizes and gender identities wear these beautiful clothes while also there being no ring death matches while also a birthday's girl uh the band uh played some really like nice songs and dj action report spinning great tunes as the event was going along and one of the beautiful things i loved was uh the synergy between all these elements uh, and Larry Legend being like a kick-ass host as well. Like um, all of these elements working in perfect harmony and perfect sync that are all very different from one another. And I think the one thing that kept that ball moving was really the wrestling um, because uh, I think the wrestling allowed for the crowd to kind of change gears into the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing uh, for that event. That's one of my favorite events I've ever worked uh, I had a really fun match with David Lawless. Shout out to him. He's a very, very a creative guy, very smart guy. Also, he's a shoot lawyer fighting the good fight for people being sued by bitter wrestling legends. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, uh, he is the one who uh, is uh, helping G Raver out with his uh, lawsuit with Jim Cornette. So shout out to David Lawless. He's a good brother, good, good brother. And um, I really like that. So, yeah, uh, kind of seeing how a live crowd would do those things uh is it's inspiring when i do paris is bumping for live crowds uh i met what i said i will not have fans uh at these shows until i feel incredibly comfortable and i don't yet i'm working shows with fans but that ain't my money and that ain't me getting sued uh so yeah. uh you know but that's my baby and i need that to be a really safe environment but also COVID and uh, the rise of cinematic matches provided me with a really interesting opportunity to kind of see how I could do this cinematically 
And also, uh, I've been a part of taping some cinematic stuff. It's a lot of fun to do. And the end products are really funny and engaging. Um, so I've been taking notes to, I did some un cinematic stuff with Uncanny and V Young's, uh, one third of the team there with Lynn and Darnell. And um, that was a lot of fun. So yeah, uh, I'm babbling, but I've been paying attention to a lot of stuff. The WWE stuff, the Impact stuff, the AEW stuff, all of it's been really cool to watch and to take notes on what to do and what not to do uh, in regards to Paris. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can definitely see see all of those different elements, like drawing stuff here and there from from everything. I'm curious though, because like one of the wrestling ones that you brought up just a little bit ago was uh, NWA Power as as a inspiration for that. Um, obviously, like that is a uh, very much like branded and presented as a as a studio show from a la like 70s 80s era wrestling and uh, i agree with you that presentation has been really intriguing to watch while it was running uh, currently i guess on hiatus while the nwa figures out what it's going to do um going forward but what exactly was it about the nwa power presentation that that you kind of ingested and put into what you wanted to do with with paris is burning or bumping God, I keep screwing it, up. It, it, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, part of it is on purpose so that they can, people can watch the documentary and then watch my show and then watch the documentary and watch my show. So the yeah. tongue twisters keep them coming. That means that people are watching gay history, which I'm all about. Um, Damn right. So, the yeah, NWA Power, to me, I remember when it came on, I think it started last year, and I was just like, oh my God, this is like everything. Because... One of my biggest pet peeves with wrestling is that there's way too fucking much of it. Um, I am not a fan of super long shows. I don't like my wrestling to be bloated. I don't. I, I think that you can have a really solid program uh, while also giving new people opportunities to some people that feel like it has to be bloated to give people opportunities. I don't agree. Um, I think that you can have short wrestling that's compact, well-written, well-booked, and more importantly, well-timed and keeping your performance to those times uh, in a shorter time frame. I love that it was only about an hour. I love that it felt everything had such a nice pace, flow, rhythm to it. Power is one of my favorite shows to watch. I mean, the matches are good. They're good quality. Uh, the commercials I thought were really funny and really creative um, and a nice nod to that time where if you go back, 80s commercials are ridiculous. Um, yes. So I thought that it was a beautiful love letter to that era of wrestling. And I think that the team that worked on it did a really good job editing it. And, and it was, a, I always was like, that was perfect because I want more, but I got enough at the same time. And um, Paris uh, is going to be between 60 to 90 minutes, depending on what our final edit will be. I am not giving you a two hour show. Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, three matches is all people are getting in a couple categories. And we're going to get in and we're going to get out. Um, and power to me, like the matches still had weight, gravity, consequences, stakes. Um, and they were impressive. And you got to know who these characters were and their their cool moves and things of that nature. So um, I really think that that's like a really cool model. And I would love to see more wrestling presented in a shorter fashion. You know, and especially one of the biggest things that I feel like my colleagues in the industry really struggle with, and I really mean this, they really struggle with the fact of like, no matter what you do, diehard wrestling fans are going to, to like it. Like they're going to be at, at the very least interested to watch it, right? 
But there's mm. so many other people out here um, that you can attract with wrestling, but you you know you, you got to make it a little bit easier for them to slide into. I mean, Butch versus Gore. You know that wasn't all diehard wrestling fans watching that in the crowd. That was a lot of new new people, and they it was a gateway with them by making it super queer. It's gateway, um, and people want to watch it, and and also uh, you know it did well in the streams, and you know there are very few promotions that stream that high that we did. You know, one would be Game Changer, ICW, No Holds Barred, AIW. Um, you know, those are like the companies that have super high streaming numbers and for a product that is not, was not catered towards wrestling fans really in its marketing and its presentation to be up there shows that like professional wrestling can still attract the casual fan. And there's nothing wrong with trying to attract the casual fan because that's like Effie says, and I love when Effie always says this, we need new eyes. And that's so real. The Attitude Era average about 10 million wrestling fans every week where did they go when we can't even crack two and a half million where shows on wednesdays can't even crack a million on their own like where did they go and it's important to try to attract casuals and still make tie hearts happy so that's one of the things that i like about nwa power is that it's not intimidating you know i want to create a product that's not intimidating to someone who's not totally obsessed with wrestling no, so I, that's I, what I'm trying to do. Yeah, and I think that's a sound strategy. I think one of the most, um, like, probably like one of the largest hurdles that that you see with people that that are new to wrestling, especially when you're watching like the more mainstream products, a la WWE, um, specifically WWE, actually, and the, to this point, is like if you want to watch Raw, that's a three hour investment every week. That is something that a lot of people uh, do not want to take on. And it is the quickest way to dissuade somebody from not even engaging with what you're doing. Uh, much it's less reflected in the ratings. Exactly. That third hour is 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 always terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's even not even taking into the aspect the taking into account um, like putting new eyes on the product and like catering to audiences that you know might be interested in what you're doing if you would just extend an olive branch in that way that's one of the things i really liked about butch versus gore like being there in the crowd and like hearing people around me that were not wrestling fans like i i there were plenty of people that i ran into while while casey and i were there that were there just because they heard about a queer wrestling show and thought that's a neat idea and just wanted to check it out and i think like if since with that being like one of the mission statements for that show um, mission accomplished one and two it really showed that if you do reach out in that way the people will come and you might give them something that will keep them coming back i mean to me like when you look at when you look at like uh shows like when you're booking and and i've also been uh lucky to talk to some promoters and some of the best minds in the business uh uh you know, talking about booking and being creative and how to keep fans and things like that. And one of the things is like, everything is a rule of three. You got to create as many opportunities, but you want to make sure people leave and they say three things that they liked about your show. If they say three things they like about your show, they're probably going to come back. Um, and it's okay to overwhelm people with positive things, but as long as they can say three things, they can remember, I like the guy who wore the fishnets. I like um, 
I like the tag team that did the double ankle lock and the big, big, big dude that threw around the other big dude. If those are three things that they said about Butch versus Gore that they like, that's a cool night. If somebody said, I like the girl who was doing the, the strip tease on the bar. Um, I like the girl with the beautiful green belt that is about the diaspora. And, um, oh, wow, the, the non-binary person who ran the show pinned someone. Yeah, that's, those are three cool things that happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, and people, those are talking points. Your show should create talking points. You know, not everybody wants to sit and watch guys do every move that they know for 20 minutes, seven to eight times, 10, 12 times in a night. You know, people want to be entertained. People want to, people want to remember that wrestling is wacky. You know, the Attitude Era is the most revered era in wrestling history um, because it attracted the most people at once. So, you know, you want to kind of stay true to what works. Uh, and that's what I really want to accomplish with Paris is bumping is, is creating moments that somebody could dig into, you know? And I think when you, when you, when you present it in a different way and make it a little less, this is a wrestling show, you know, I think people are more willing to give it a shot, you know? Uh, and this is not saying the show's going to be perfect. I'm sure I'm going to watch it back and be like, I could have did this, could have did that. But like, we gotta evolve with wrestling, right? Like in the world. So like what I think one of the biggest discoveries that we've learned on the independence. So working with Envy Young, working with Effie, working with the Uncanny folks, uh, working with Lolo, working with, um, God, uh, I'm forgetting so many people. Uh, and also working with people that like, I can't talk about anymore because of like, you know, cleaning out the trash. Yeah. But one of the things that I've learned working in wrestling is that, and one of the things I've discovered is wrestling, if you think about it, if I'm a bartender, right? Wrestling is like the best chaser for a drink. Best chaser. Wrestling is a good way to incorporate new and exciting ideas. So if we have a wrestling ring, or we don't, because no ring death matches are fucking awesome. Um, uh, if, if we have wrestling as the attraction, and then build around it with new and exciting things that uh, you know are foils to the wrestling and are contradictory in some ways towards wrestling. It creates interest and intrigue because people want to know how is this going to work. And I think that the more we let wrestling be collaborative and at a standalone medium, I think the more successful and the more longevity the business is going to have. Which is why you're seeing the WWE scramble to make their product uh, interesting. Because no. not saying that wrestling is boring. No, wrestling is awesome. I, I mean, I'm a wrestler. I love it. But in the 21st century, in 2020, we need to elevate our product for a mainstream audience. You want big eyes, as many eyes as possible. You got to enhance it. If you're worried about the smart marks that are going to, you know, like if Dave Meltzer says that Billy Dixon is a two-star wrestler and that's all they're going to think for the rest of their lives, those people are going to come to yourself. But if you want as many new eyes and ways to cross-promote, you got to let wrestling be a chaser, uh, to use that analogy. Mm -hmm. It's a very apt one, I think, too. I mean, we've seen, you know, wrestling crossover with other forms of media and, and kind of provide that sort of, that sort of, um, feeling, I would say, or that's that sort of role. Um, and then also like speaking to that, having wrestling kind of stand alone and, and have this like evolutionary feel like, or this adaptability, I mean, we've seen that 
it's, it's really, especially during the time of COVID, like where, you know, you had, I know you were on like MV's outdoor show a, a couple of weeks back. And like, that was like one of those, it felt a very, like a very DIY um, operation, but it had a, it had its own charm and it had its own presentation and it generated excitement from that. And then even you look at what happened with the, the violence cross suffering show this past weekend, where they ended up having to change states to be able to put on a show with a ring with no ropes, but it's still killed. Like just being able to have that sort of adaptability um, with your wrestling product is something that feels like it's been dropping by the wayside for a long time outside of the more creative elements on the indie circuit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm excited about, about Paris is bumping because like I, I'm all about seeing new presentations for, for pro wrestling and and new worlds for it to to penetrate and ballroom specifically is a is a curious one for me um because like i'll i'll admit like i know about ballroom culture i am not entrenched in it i don't have a long historic knowledge of it i've, you know, I've seen paris is burning but you know i think a lot and a lot of the wrestling world maybe isn't really that entrenched with it uh, uh, in this in a similar way to myself um i i would say obviously ballroom culture has kind of been brought back into the mainstream a bit with the programs that you were talking about, you know, legendary pose um, in the past, like three to four years, but, um, and it's having a moment right now, but that mainstream knowledge, um, it still speaks to a, a history behind it that I think people either are just starting to explore or haven't really cracked that book yet. Um Two questions around that for you. One, um, what was the inspiration to add ballroom to pro wrestling for you specifically? Like, why? Where did that idea come from for you? And then, um, do you see this show as something that can help open that book for more people to maybe like look into ballroom more so um, as something to explore as an art form and as a culture as a, and as a, a lifestyle? Um. So for me, like the story. Uh, the idea of the show was quite simple. This was, I was like summer last year. I was like at home. I was high as fuck. I smoked a lot of weed. I watched some ECW and I was like watching Pose. And then it just hit me. It just hit me. I'm like, oh my God, these things are not, these things, ECW and Ballroom are so similar. Holy fuck. They're extreme versions of masculinity and femininity and, uh, you know, showmanship and competing and, both are very carny too. And uh, what would happen if you put them in the, the, the same space, same time? What would happen? Um, and that's the idea. Um, I think one of the things uh, for me is like, if I'm being really honest, I'm really bored with wrestling. Um, I feel like wrestling could could be so much more. It could be so much more imaginative. It can be three-dimensional. It can be daring and ambitious. It can go places. It can be, it can, it can dare to dream. I think that like, it's okay. Like one of the things um, that I really thought was cool that Progress Wrestling uh, did a show uh, where it was retro for one night and mm. it included the presentation, the outfits. It was like the seventies or eighties. Uh, and Progress did a show where 
everything about it. You, the fans have to show up in 70s attire. The workers have to wrestle, uh, show up in 70s attire, 70s music, 70s camera filters. The whole thing was a retro presentation. And I thought that that was so cool and like exciting um, and different. And I think that it's okay to sprinkle in different. Um, uh, as a queer person in wrestling, and I've gotten into some like debates with people, but like, I feel that, you know, uh, let me preface this with this so people don't like take this the wrong way. Um, I do not believe that every person has to be like a queer encyclopedia if they happen to be queer. Like, I don't believe that. And in that same breath, I do believe that you owe it to your ancestors to at least start learning about your history, right? right. Um, so uh, 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 I am lucky and fortunate. Like for me, like coming out was not a thing. I was always out. I never was closeted. You know, I was like, here she is. And like, it is what it is. But like, you know, I know that some of the fellow wrestlers I share locker rooms with or the industry with, they don't have that same experience. And like, that's something that I will, I can never know because that's not my life. So I can only, uh, you know, have a, uh, a caring heart and open mind and you know ears open to that experience but i think it's really important at this time where like we're kind of like accepting queerness and wrestling to not kind of just gro grovel for like crumbs and just steal the loaf of bread like it's right there in my opinion and like that's like just let them know we're here we're getting used to it instead of like bowing our heads and being like oh thank you sir may i have another like i'm not really interested in that ballroom is as queer as it gets point blank period it is beautiful it is exciting it's colorful it's flamboyant it's extravagant it's passion it's hard and for me as somebody who did ballroom one time when i was a teenager uh and failed miserably uh, as a foot queen um it's my love letter this show is my love letter to the two passions of my life which is ballroom culture and professional wrestling and it's my way to acknowledge how they've impacted my life and what beautiful art forms and mediums they've all far. And um, I think also it's, it, you know, right now we're having this interest in ballroom culture again with like, like I said, like the, there was the Viceland show, My House, Pose on FX, Legendary, HBO Max. Um, and also there's like Kiki on Hulu and Paris is burning on, on, on Netflix. So there's this like moment we're having of like acknowledging ballroom. And I don't want it to be like Madonna in the 1990s where it was cool, but it was only cool because it was through the gaze of a white cis woman. I'm kind of over that. I want us, they want, I want us to have this thing stick. And I think, uh, you know, having it uh, as a juxtaposition to pro wrestling and most people, you know, the only way that they can sympathize or understand something or get behind something is if they feel that it's in, uh, uh, applicable to them, you know, like, it's like the whole thing of like, uh, people don't, people like don't want to understand like transness unless they know a trans person and then they get it, you know, especially mm -hmm. people that are not from like super predominantly queer cities. Uh, so for me, juxtaposing ballroom to wrestling is a cool way to introduce people to it in a way that like they don't find threatening either. So the same way I'm booking a show to not be threatening to queer people that are not wrestling fans, I'm doing the same thing with queer culture to 
to not queer or even queer because a lot of queer people that are wrestlers and wrestling fans know very little to nothing about queer history to make it not threatening to them either. So I'm trying to make this happy medium for both sides to learn about the other. And it's like uh, those videos where they have two people that are like supposed to like be polar opposites and hate each other. And they have a conversation and they realize, oh, wow, we have more in common than we thought. Uh, so that's what I'm doing just with the show. Mm. And, and I think the idea comes across very well. I think it's apt that you you bring up, you know, the 1990 with, with Madonna's Vogue and how like that that really made the ballroom scene digestible. But through the through the gaze of a, of a white cis woman um, to the to a more uh, like straight mainstream in that way, I see uh, like some very apt similarities between the like how you're approaching this to the to that but not necessarily in through through the same viewpoint it's definitely like saying like we want to give you a vessel to experience this and learn about this but we're not going to apologize for the people that are going to bring it to you like you have to listen to us you have to listen to the community as opposed to being um circumvented through um like the mainstream pop charts in that way right yeah no i and i love the idea of it i love i i love the i think it's a a very um astute observation for to have that strategy um and i think that i i'm excited to see how the response is going to be from you know non-queer uh people that that view the show um do you have any any expectations for for how this will reach out to to that community because obviously like a number of people within queer wrestling have already like i said before i've already expressed like excitement and and like really thought about the potential of what this show could could bring but i'm just i'm curious if you have any additional thoughts on on how you see this approaching uh straight audiences in that way um i want them to be curious i want them to ask questions i want them to google i want them to research i want them to youtube i want them to go away being a little curious about ballroom culture uh you know and i think that having wrestlers in in this space and also wrestlers um that have ballroom experience larry legend our mc and commentator has had a history in the ballroom scene candy lee will be doing a special Vogue fan queen uh, uh, performance that I'm so excited for. Um, I myself, very little, but I have ballroom experience and also uh, knowledge from 20 years of like being obsessed with it. Um, and we also have other trans performers. We have a, a drag queen from New York City that will be doing a lip syncing performance, uh, which is a category in ballroom. Uh, as well as, you know, paying tribute to uh, drag as well. Um, I want people to be, you know, interested in looking things up and not like just RuPaul's Drag Race, which there's nothing wrong with loving Drag Race. I love Drag Race. Um, but I want people to be interested in this world. And, and I want people to realize the athleticism, like of a Laomi Maldonado or Sonia Shavaganza who's on Pose um, and look up these, these performers that are so athletic uh, I grew up watching Buffy West, who's on uh, HBO Max's Legendary, who I remember when he was voguing uh, at balls. And I went to a ball with a boyfriend of mine at the time and being like stunned at how like beautiful his movements were and how fierce he was. You know, I want people to like grow to have a small appreciation. You know, I don't think that this show is going to be very uh, 
I don't think people are going to be clutching their pearls. Like, that's not what I'm going for. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not going to be shot for shot what a ball would look like. No, it's going to be like in the confines of wrestling, what, what could you do to do a ball? So I think that it's going to be where people who, who know that world are going to go, oh, I caught that. Oh, what a key. Oh, caught that, caught that. For those people, but in the same way, they can see the wrestling implications as well. So mm -hmm. that's exciting. No, definitely, definitely. Um, I am curious to ask you. You've spoken about like using a more cinematic approach, um, at least for elements of, of the show itself. Um, and so much about both wrestling and ballroom really deals with being in front of a live audience in in that way and having that sort of reciprocation from an audience. And you know, it, I don't know. It, it seems like I don't. I don't know where things are, or what the plans are going for the show. If if there is any plans to have like a small amount of people in in the building for it or whatever. But um, what's been your approach uh, with with the COVID situation in terms of like trying to keep that atmosphere um, and that environment um, authentic in that way to both ballroom and wrestling while presenting uh, the show itself? Uh, so like, uh, how are we like? tackling safety in like a COVID, a COVID world yeah sa safety definitely but also in terms of like creative process um like maybe like th like different strategies you might be implementing to kind of help build the, keep that atmosphere in at least somewhat similar to to what most people expect from from ballroom and wrestling okay uh so uh if we get rid of COVID like people get tested masks hand sanitizer breaks social distancing that's going to go down as much as possible uh as well as like if you're not feeling good stay home i'll rewrite the show the show's the show is written the show has a script however it's not like dialogue you know it's just like shots i need to get the matches things i need from the matches but it's a highly collaborative environment um so i'll be talking to so for example uh I'll, I'll talk to Faye Jackson of like, okay, she's a judge. These are some things I need for you to do as a judge and kind of collaborating with her with like, well, what does she think her character would respond to this and that? And us figuring out the best way for her to do that role because she's not wrestling a match. She's doing this thing, but I need her to do this thing that's true to Faye Jackson, but also true to ballroom as well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, also with people in their matches, you know, I give you, like, here's the general idea of what I want. Anything you want to do in the middle, I'm cool with, as long as you don't break the venue. Um, talking to people about the outfits that they're wearing, things of that nature. Um, there's some comedic segments and some kind of cool stuff we got planned on. And, you know, number one thing, which is, to me, I think vital as a, as a, in 2020, if you're a promoter, you must get the consent of your performers. Uh, of your idea so that they can work within it. You know, if they're really against something and either you can do one of two things. Um, you can you can either say, well, I really need this and move on to someone else who may consent to it. Or if you really value the person that you're, you're using, you gotta collaborate on a happy medium, you know? Cause to me, like there are things that like, I want that someone has said no to. And I'm just like, okay, well, what about this? You always got to come up with something better and something to enhance your product. Now, if somebody's just being difficult, you know, show them the door and that way, you know, they're not doing anything they're not comfortable with and you still can find someone that can do your vision. 
Um, so it'll be a lot of, you know, us talking through the, the taping of it together. You know, we're all in this together. And I want everybody who's, who's risking, you know, their lives in a COVID world to come do the show. Like, I want them to feel like they are as involved as possible within the process and feel like they put themselves, their characters in the process. Um, so that's really exciting to me. It's awesome. It all sounds really good. I can't wait to see the end product. Like I'm, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm super curious and, and, and very much waiting. Um, but before we get out of here, I do have to ask you a couple about a couple of other things. It's like, like I mentioned before, you were on Envy's uh, uh, Polycult Outdoor uh, Party a couple weeks ago in a, I, I would say, a very hard-hitting match uh, against uh, Erica Lee for your Chocolate City Championship. Um, I just wanted, like, first off, like, I, I we we spoke about this uh, before, but like, I that match killed, loved it. Um, I was very happy to see that Erica was okay <laughs> afterwards. Um, but um, I don't know what what was your experience like working that show and and kind of being in in that kind of DIY environment there. Um, well, it was interesting. Uh, yeah, that's a good word to start with. It was interesting. <laughs> Um, it wasn't what I expected. I didn't know what I expected. Uh, but you know, uh, there were, there were things that happened. Uh, and I'm going to put it to you this way. Like, was it the best wrestling show that ever happened in the history of the world? Ah, no, it wasn't even close, but was it in the spirit of wrestling where we adapt and overcome? Yes. Like the ring wasn't what we thought it was going to be, but we worked around that, you know, the environment wasn't super to four ring to even be in, but we adapted around that. I broke my best friend's nose uh, in the middle of our match. We adapt and we finish the match. Um, you know, we just do what we do. Uh, it was it was interesting to wrestle in front of a limited crowd. It took me back to when I first started wrestling. Uh, you know, I, I you know I've been spoiled in the past uh, few years or so of like wrestling in front of these packed houses and it's like all these people. And you know, you get humbled when there's you got to really work for your pops and your, your, your ovations and stuff. So um, that was cool. But I mean, it was a fun environment. There were people having fun, having a key, wearing masks. Uh, and we just had fun in Brooklyn. And I really think that uh, people enjoyed it and enjoyed my match with Erica. And it was covered in like some, I don't know the guy, to be honest with you, but some, I guess, big influencer happened to be there and watched the whole show. And posted about it and everybody on their social media was like, oh my God, that's so cool. So it, it, it was a fun night. Um, and, you know, listen, I think that one of the things that like wrestling fans could be, wrestling fans could be really critical to begin with, but like one of the things that I think they need to remember is that like we're figuring this out as we go along. You know, there's not like a, a rule book for everything. And sometimes things are gonna go sideways and sometimes things are gonna be cattywampus, but everybody performing, goes out of their way to give you the best performance, the best wrestling that they can give you. And I think that that's something to keep in mind. No, definitely. I, I, I love the, the attitude and the environment there. And like every, every match really kind of exuded that in its own separate way, whether it's, you know, Ziggy and Lee kicking things off or Bobby Orlando doing what Bobby Orlando does. <laughs> that's the way to you describe know. that. Yes, <laughs> like it was just all around great, and then to cap it off with MB and Effie, like the anytime they are in the ring together, it's it's 
it's always fun. So I really like the show, and I and I thought that it was um, it was a nice. And another thing about talking about the conciseness of it, it was like an hour, like a little over an hour, and and it was like the perfect amount to to digest in that way. So it speaks to the philosophy that you've been adapting to your to to Paris's bumping as well. But one other thing that coming out of that show was the debut of your new finisher, uh, the EMT. And um, I am, I, I really want to talk to you about this because obviously we've spoken about situations regarding COVID multiple times during this show, but obviously there's other um, things going on culturally uh, right now. You know, we've seen the, the protests um, in the wake of the murder of George, George Floyd over the past like two plus months at this point, you know, here in Portland, like we're still, there are still people nightly in the streets, you know, like, going up against police here. Um, and I really enjoyed seeing um, one. I've, I've, you've been very, very, very vocal and have not been like, keep like silencing your voice at all when it comes to this, especially for um, the black trans community that's being affected. You know, I, I think Tony McDade's name is still in your, your Twitter uh, name right now. And, and it's been there for months at this point, just to bring awareness there and seeing you, name your new finisher after three of the more prominent victims of, of police brutality in this way, you know, Elijah McClain, Breonna Taylor, and uh, Tony McDade. Um, I, I, one, like it was extremely thoughtful and, and inspiring. And I'm curious, like, just, just to ask you, like for, for you, what, how did you come to, to that as the name for it? And what was your personal meaning behind putting that out there um well i mean before things kind of got really uh pushed to the forefront i was working on a new finishing move that i was going to debut uh wrestlemania week uh and i was supposed to wrestle at a certain very 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 gay show that i wasn't announced for yet uh <laughs> in which i was going to debut it um but that didn't happen uh, and I've always had that move in the back of my head for the past like seven months or so. Um, and I think for me, uh, you know, going out and protesting myself, uh, both publicly and privately, uh, I've been to a few protests where I haven't posted about it because uh, where I was, the tensions were so high and it was best to have my phone off and just kind of be a little bit more on the self side. But to me, um, I think that as a Black American, as a Black person, uh, I feel like there's so much momentum to uh, our our fight for our lives. I mean, let's just call it like we see it, that I wanted to pay tribute to that in a way that will keep people reminded in a way uh, that works for me. I mean, you know, uh, luckily I don't have a yellow bandana uh, but my gear is yellow, so I kind of, you know, fall in line with the other black wrestlers who have been incorporating yellow, which was Breonna Taylor's favorite color, uh, into their gear. Um, but, you know, I was really affected by the Elijah McClain story. When I read it, I broke down in tears, uh, especially reading uh, his last words really fucked me up. I, I get, sorry, I'm like getting like worked up thinking about it. Um, and Tony McDade, uh, we don't really talk about uh, one of the things that's really frustrating for me is that I don't think that we do enough of talking about 
the things that trans masked people go through. Um, I think that they're really left out of the conversation. Um, and I think that I, 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 with the small platform I have, am really committed to making uh, uh, myself an ally really visible and just showing the stories of trans masked people and trans femme people and non-binary people as well, just showing their stories because I think it's really important to just give them the, the, the space as well as bring attention to things. So um, Tony's story really followed me and, you know, seeing how misgendered he was in his uh, article about his death really bothered me. And Breonna Taylor, uh, to me, is, it, I mean, we're, 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 it's been over, what, five, six months and, you know, no arrests, no nothing. And it just seems like the world has kind of moved on. Uh, and those three stories really uh, broke my heart. And more recently, uh, the story of Brian Powers, who was murdered, uh, another black trans uh, man was murdered, as well as, um, gosh, there's so many names. It, it, this is kind of the sad thing is Tiffany Harris. Uh, uh, I think her name was Dominique Fells or Dominique Milton uh, and, and Remy. Uh, like, and the, the list sadly goes on and on. And a couple of days ago, Eden the doll uh, and two of her friends were attacked in LA in a transphobic attack. Um, you know, to me, trans lives are really uh, uh, the, the, the most precious and, and uh, valuable. And as a black person who like has decided to look back on like my roots in like Africa and like, and it's particu particularly African and native uh, spirituality is very similar in which what's so sad is colonization kind of created the toxic environment regarding trans lives because if you go back hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Those mm. villages and things like that, if you were queer or trans, right? So if you were same sex loving or you were trans, you were seen as like uh, like kind of supernatural, kind of like a, like a higher being closer to God, you know? Mm. And to see how like now we just like just are just murdering the girls and the guys and those in between or neither, uh, you know, it's it's crazy to me. So that's always why I'm always gonna have a level of of strong allyship and strong like uh, promotion of of trans issues and which is why the first month of Paris is uh, bumping uh, we'll be giving. Uh, proceeds to the anti-violence project out of New York City, which directly helps trans people with court cases and getting help after they've been attacked. Uh, that's one of the big things that that place does. It was featured in the Life and Death of Marcia B. Johnson on Netflix, and they do really, really, really great work. Um, and I should you know, suggest people check it out and consider donating. Uh, and the reason why the move is called the ENT is not only because it's the names of Elijah, Tony's last name, McDade, Brianna's last name, Taylor, but also Brianna Taylor was an ENT herself. Hmm. Um, and what really fucked me up is people are, uh, you know, these officers killed someone's life that was dedicated to saving others. So to me, you know, the name of the move has a lot of power and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, meaning to me personally. Uh, and it's my way of keeping them alive. Uh, it's my way of remembering that these things happen and not forgetting about it. You know, we have not forgotten about Breonna Taylor. 
We have not forgotten about Tony. We have not forgotten about Elijah. We have not forgotten about George Floyd, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice. We, we haven't forgotten uh, about Brian Powers. We haven't forgotten about Tiffany Harris, Amadou Diallo, the list goes on and on. So it's important for me as a black wrestler, especially now, and especially becoming more conscious about what I can use with my platform to remind people that this is something that's ongoing. Uh, so I won't remove Tony from my profile anytime soon. Uh, he might be there forever, um, but I really would like to see, you know, him get the justice that he needs. So that's kind of the story of all of that. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's inspiring, and 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 honestly, the message behind it is is incredibly empowering. You know. Well, the, the best way to keep these movements going is to, you know, keep them in the minds of people. And, and you know, for a wrestler specifically, like what better way than than to put some real messaging into your finisher in that way and, and to have something where, you know, it can't be ignored <laughs> in that way. So, yeah, no, yeah, it's 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 awesome. I I love it. Um. God, you got me a little bit, a little bit choked up over here, just because like. <laughs> there's a there's a there's another move that I'll be uh, debuting, that's called the check it, which is a tribute to the all queer and trans gang, out of DC that was covered in a documentary called the check it, and they've all moved on with their lives and now have a clothing line and a clothing brand called check it. So uh, yeah, it's important for me to use my platform to educate people, especially a black queer person about black queer people and my experience as a black person including cis hats as well so yeah mm-hmm. i mean I, I i you know one of the things i don't like to share some things about myself because you know we're in a, we're in a very like antagonistic culture especially on twitter where people think everything is performative and like the clout but my grandmother uh was an active participant in the civil rights movement you know she was just one of the many nameless faceless people that we're doing things, you know, you, not every single person that march is going to be covered in a school textbook, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, I remember when uh, the election happened four years ago, and I was like, I don't want to vote because I didn't like to the choice. And my aunt was like, yeah, I think you should vote. I think you should vote. And I was like, well, why? She's like, I'll tell you if you vote. And I remember the day after, you know, we all know what happened. Uh, mm-hmm. And my aunt was like, Things didn't go the way that either one of us hoped, but I'm glad you did vote because your grandmother fought for your right to vote. And you, my grandmother's passed away, but you've you've done her proud by doing that one exercise. So for me, learning more about my grandmother's philanthropy and civil service throughout her life, especially with her community, uh, you know, I feel a really heightened sense to pay it forward. So, you know, a lot of this is also me paying it forward in the memory of my grandmother who spent her life servicing others. So. Hmm. It's, it's inspiring. Uh, and I think a very um, powerful way to continue that memory. Um, all of those different memories, all those different things that, that have influenced you and, and have inspired you in that way. So I, I wish there was more of that in wrestling. <laughs> Um, or just in general, in a lot of ways, but um, it's it's awesome to see. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I that's it's it's you know what that's 
such an inspiring note to kind of end this conversation on, um, I would say, at least for, for me. Um, I guess let us know how people can can keep in touch with uh, what's going on with Paris' bumping and, and how people can um, keep up to date on what's going on with you online. Okay, um, so uh, this October, Halloween time, we are planning to stream on IWTV.live. That is IWTV.live. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Paris is Bumping. That is Paris is Bumping on Twitter for all of your updates and information. Uh, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the event, if you're interested in covering the event, in any kind of media, we are open and willing to talk to you. Not just me, but anybody on the team and uh, crew, uh, parisisbumping at gmail.com. And if you want to follow me and me talk about K-pop and social justice, performative, restorative justice, and about reality TV from 10 years ago, especially Angelina from Jersey Shore's Bang, uh, follow me on Twitter at the Billy Dixon, uh, where all your finest tweets can be stored. Mm. Actually, now that you bring up the the Paris is Bumping team, it does remind me. Uh, this show does also represent the the reuniting of the queer managers in chief. Hell um, yeah! Bringing the Lolo on board. <laughs> that was awesome to see, and I'm super like the way the Butchers' gore came off. Like I can only imagine what you two have like cooking up for for what's gonna go down in October. Lo is the homie. Lo McGrath. Uh, is one of my favorite people in wrestling, a brilliant mind. They are very dedicated in creating uh, some positive changes in the future and making sure that wrestling is like a really equitable space. And they are also very well connected at helping events achieve their maximum potential. You know, at the time, you know, I'm not going to Ben Wyatt, Prime Time, that was a company that exists that no longer exists, but like that was the highest profile show they ever had with the biggest return on that investment. There was a lot of money made on that event that I will never see, but that was an incredible success. I mean, top 10, one of the highest shows on IWTV this year, and one of the most poignant independent wrestling shows before the end of the world, aka COVID. So uh, that was as 50% of me, 50% of them, we're, we're a dream team. They are uh, an assistant producer. I am like in you know more of the head bitch in charge role, but they are helping me out making this happen. So shout out to Lo. I fucking love you, dog. <laughs> it's great to see you. Well, thank you, Billy. No problem. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> My thanks once again to Billy for, for coming on the show and chatting all things uh, Paris is Burning, as well as some very uh, uh, inspirational and empowering things um, uh, within himself and within pro wrestling right now. And, and I know I keep using those two words um, repeatedly when talking about, you know, the conversation there, but I just, I can't find two more um, apt words to describe um, but what I was feeling during that conversation and, and just... <laughs> how I've really ingested a lot of what's been what's been going on with Billy um but yeah Paris is burnt Paris is bumping is coming um I'm pretty sure I screwed that up again and I'm going to continue screwing it up but it's okay Paris is bumping Paris is bumping Paris is 
bumping. There we go. It's coming in October, and it's going to be rad, and I cannot wait to see what Billy has in store for all of us there. But um, if you want to keep up to date, like Billy said, follow him on Twitter, the Billy Dick, at the Billy Dixon, um, and then, of course, Paris is Bumping at Paris is Bumping. Um, and make sure to stay tuned there, because there's um, still plenty of announcements to come for that show, and uh, all kinds of intrigue, I would say. Um, well, yeah, that's going to do it for us here this week on LGBT in the Ring, but like every week, we can't leave without saying thank you to some awesome people that helped make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar. The Progress Pride Flag Design by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. And of course, big thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666. That's off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahandthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. You can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. And, of course, if you're into video games, I do also co-host a gaming news show alongside a couple of my friends and fellow Twitch streamers over um, on twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment, Sun Like the Star. That's called the Mr. Video Game Super Show. That's every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Uh, we just take a couple hours out of the week and uh, go through the week's gaming news, offer critique, analysis, and just try and have fun with it where we can, get serious where we need to, and you know, just give our opinions and look over stuff. Um, it's it's always a fun time. It's one of the highlights of my week, and I really enjoy doing that show with them. And you know, we're starting to branch out a little bit more. We have our our gaming history show that runs every two weeks on on Tuesdays at the same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, called the History of the World. Um, and then we do stream games here and there, um, and hopefully that that will get to a more regular schedule um, moving forward. Uh, who knows? We all have other things going on on our plate, like everyone else in the world. But either way, it's always it's always fun, and I suggest you check it out. Twitch.tv slash Dead Sun Entertainment. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to do it for us here this week. So, uh, until next time, y'all stay messy, wash your hands, wear your mask, and give Fernando Tatis Jr. a break, for God's sakes. Six, six, six.